Welcome to the Longview Podcast, a show for Catholic school teachers, Catholic school teachers, and anyone who works to form young people in the faith. I'm Joe. And I'm Elizabeth, and we're here to bring you conversation, contemplation, and some food for thought. So grab your red pen, your favorite beverage, and enjoy. Joe Nava, the internet died yesterday in Texas. It was the worst. It was so the worst. This podcast almost didn't happen because we thought the internet was going to be out indefinitely, like forever. So you would send me an email or send me a text saying of a story that a lightning strike had hit an AT&T building and then there was a fire where they had their servers and their backup servers. And basically, <laughs> the whole map of TMW, all the AT&T houses, their phone, their internet, and their television TV. cable was all down. Yeah. It was terrible. It was one of those things where you don't realize how reliant you are on the internet until you don't have it. It was. It's kind of like when the power goes out and you accidentally, just out of muscle memory, go to flip on the light. Like... I kept going to do things that involved internet and then had to stop myself and go, I, I can't, I can't do, I cannot do that to the point that it was time for our kids after nap show, their one 30 minute episode of something. And we, we had nothing like we don't have a DVD player. I couldn't put in a video for them. We didn't have, obviously we don't have a VHS player in the house. There's one in the storage unit, but I'm not going to go get that out. Not that we have a VHS have to, put, to put in it. There was there was nothing for them to watch. I like was digging around on my computer for like anything. I found thirty minutes worth of Beatrix Potter from PBS that was somehow magically saved thanks to your squirreling away of of media, which saved my life. You couldn't just have a conversation with your boys. I could, but the routine would I mean, have been thrown boys. off. The routine. So then we were like almost out of data on our phones at the end of the night and it was going to be the end of the world. And we were having this great debate, like, should we just up, re-up the data? Like, do we want to buy another, you know, we don't know how long this is going to last. Mm-hmm. It was pretty miserable. <laughs> but at least you got to go to work where you had internet. Yeah. I can't imagine as a stay-at-home mom what, yeah. It's so isolating. Suddenly you're like, I have no life. I just have to do work at my house. Like sweeping and cooking no i'm just kidding i have a very fulfilling life outside of the internet anyway in light of our reflections in our last podcast about trying to put away the the you know the screens and all that stuff it was brought upon me against my will and you, there's no happy ending of like oh it was so refreshing that i was no. able to be disconnected and no. I could just be present to god and to the love in my family the, the happy ending was at bedtime joe goes oh the internet's back and i was like oh good okay Woo. all right it's all gonna be fine so we can do a podcast well good i'm glad we can do this podcast yeah me too i'm super excited for our guest today um so our guest is jeffrey mooney csc he is a great friend of ours uh he was in our wedding uh he um, I mean, what's the introduction here? Did yeah, go, you how, and Jeffrey how... go so far back. You were his RA. <laughs> I was his RA at Notre Dame Alumni Hall when he was a freshman. And we were in the folk choir together. We did lots of things together. Stayed in touch. 
Um, he did the ACE program and went to Pensacola Catholic. Is it just Catholic High or Pensacola Catholic? Pensacola Catholic High School. Okay. And then uh, taught there. And then we'll also learn his vocation story, hopefully by the end, of when he decided to join the seminary at Moreau um, with the Congregation of Holy Cross. Yeah. Jeffrey, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you for having me, Joe and Elizabeth. This is a long time coming. Yeah, we've been planning this for a long time since you were at our house in May. I think we had tried to tried to get a podcast laid down, but it didn't happen because we were super busy with, with the full choir visiting. But here we are. And here we are, and I'm definitely glad to be with you tonight. Was that a good uh, intro, bio? I don't know if I gave all the, the highlights. It's pretty, ex- I know you have ex- an extensive experience. No, you, in- you, hit, the, you hit the good points there. <laughs> you painted a, a great picture of me so far. <laughs> so you were just a year behind me in A, so you were a 16. Age 16. Mm-hmm. And Pensacola was close to my hometown in Mobile. So we actually, I think I got to see you at my parents' house quite a bit when you were in Pensacola. And then you stayed in Pensacola after ACE. So how long mm-hmm. were you in Pensacola after you finished your time? I did the two years in ACE, and then I was there for three more years um, after graduating from the ACE program. And what, what did you teach? I started out teaching junior and sophomore religion classes. So morality to the juniors and then scripture to the sophomores. Um, did a little bit of math while I was doing that as well. And then when I left the ACE program, I transitioned full-time into the math department, mm. uh, teaching algebra and geometry. And then your your other, the other part of your story in Pensacola is your running, right? You were a coach, right? I was the assistant coach. Can't claim the head <laughs> coach job. Okay. But you weren't a runner before you, before you went to Pensacola. Isn't that right? No, I wasn't really athletic at all before I came to Kent to Pensacola. Oh, so you consider yourself athletic now? Uh, I have a little athletic uh, strain in me now. So. <laughs> so how did that come about? Like, how did you become the coach, assistant coach? Well, so the tradition at Pensacola Catholic was that the ace teacher had always <laughs> filled in as the assistant cross-country coach. Is that actually so, true, or is that just what they told you, the new guy? Well, as far as I can... Uh, discern uh, that was actually the case that they had had a tradition of ace teachers helping out with track and cross country and so there was a vacancy when i came on um and so after a little bit of coaxing i decided to give it a shot and uh became a runner as of that day (laughs) so did you feel like you did you run before you ever coached or did you coach before you ever ran i didn't really do either i didn't have (laughs) I didn't have any major experience coaching you, uh, nor did I really run long distance uh, at all before. That. No, but I mean, like the first day you show up as the coach. Oh, okay. Had I you... tried a little bit over the summer beforehand, <laughs> okay. but really my first foray into running was with the team on day one. <laughs> oh, man. And how did that go? I mean, did you keep up, keep the pace? Uh, I did okay with the backpack um, that day. Uh, took a, a little breather here or there, but made it back in one piece and decided, well, I guess I'll do day two tomorrow. <laughs> did, did you play it cool? Like, you know, kind of part of teaching is you're just pretending that you know what you're doing. So, like, did you, you know, do that or did you, like, just say, honestly, guys, I, this is my first time. I feel like, yeah. But there were a few points that I would honestly just say to the student. <laughs> I don't really know what I'm supposed to be doing right now, so you might want to just ask the coach. <laughs> so 
those were few, though. I mean, like you said, sometimes you just have to fake it till you make it. I'm not sure if that's the best philosophy. <laughs> I did a lot of that in teaching. A lot of that. But I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, as the coach, if you're at the back of the pack, you can kind of play the like, I'm just making sure everybody's doing okay card. You know, I'm just keeping an eye on this guy back here. I think you can pull that off. <laughs> and it, it worked pretty well for that first season, just kind of making uh, good pals with those in the backpack of runners. So. <laughs> so what's the farthest you've ever run at this point? I have gone as far as doing a half marathon. Nice. Um, I've done two half marathons, so maybe That's one day. That's a whole we'll marathon. Work. I know. <laughs> you run if you stretch it out. <laughs> so the the next goal is to work up to a marathon, but uh, right now I'm not in the training season to make that happen. But one day, one day we'll get there. All That's right. Awesome. Nice. I'm jealous. I'm not a runner. Yeah, remember that at, one at what time. Point, at what point did you decide like I am a runner? Like you know, you've embraced that 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 became part of your identity. Like how long did that take? Um, so there were a couple meets that we had where after the students ran, they would have an open run, which was for like parents and assistant coaches and just anyone who wanted to show up. And so, uh, that season, my head coach prompted me to like join in the open run. And so I actually ran a race and, uh, there were people cheering me on. I was like, wow, this this is kind of exhilarating. (laughs) I think I can maybe be part of this. Oh, good for you. I would like to say that inspires me to start running, but I'm no, not there yet. No, <laughs> I run for fires and falling children. That's about the extent of my running. Do you need? Did you need someone like barking at you, like you can do it, or you know, you were able to figure that out all on your own? Just the intrinsic motivation. Definitely the encouragement from the the students, even and from <laughs> my coaching staff, helped. But um, once you get into it. There is, I found that there is a lot of self-motivation that goes on of just trying to push yourself to the next level of seeing, you know, how far you can go in one run without feeling like you're, you're going to like just keel over. So (laughs) you can go about three minutes and then I'm going to keel over. That's about my limit. (laughs) Is there like, is there like this philosophy of running that has, that kind of influenced your teaching and influence, I mean, even just, you know, your ministry now and what you do, like, is that just transform how you see see things interact with people and push through. I definitely, I definitely learned a lot from the students who were on the team about not giving in too easily about not letting the setbacks and the failures get to you because a lot of them, they were encouraged to set their, um, their goals for the year in terms of the time they won the run or their pace. And um, some of them made it and some of them didn't, but it wasn't like they were at an utter defeat at the end of the season if they didn't quite make their time. Um, and the students seem to be rather gentle with themselves. And I think it taught me a lot about being gentle with myself in terms of um, the stages of growth that I'm going through and whatever I happen to be doing at the time. And I learned a lot from them and the way that they encouraged each other um, and supported each other. Um, it was always a very positive environment to be in, in uh, coaching the cross country team. And they worked hard together, even though they were working on individual goals, there was a lot of teamwork involved as well. So do you keep up with any of those kids? Do you ever hear from them? Every once in a while, I might uh, hear from one of them or I'll hear from their parents. Um, Cause I still try to go down to Pensacola to visit at least once a year. Um, and a lot of times I get reconnected with coworkers Sometimes I'll run into the parents um, and they love updating me about their kids. And 
it's really gratifying to hear all the great things that they have been doing over the past several years since I left the school. And many of them, um, the older ones, at least, they're now graduated from college and they're in good jobs and good careers and they're starting their own families. I see pictures every so often of students who are getting married and just kind of blows my <laughs> mind that they were in my classroom at one point. Mm-hmm. Oh man. Have any of them overlapped with you at Notre Dame? Have you ever had students from Pensacola in the, at Notre Dame? So I had two students graduate this past May um, from Notre Dame and I have one other student who is a senior this year. Wow. Um, so it's always kind of surreal even though I know they're here when I accidentally, you know, like run into on campus like oh wow <laughs> here you are here we are together um, but they're all doing great things and so it's it's a blessing to see them on campus too it's like you're the mr feeney that just never goes away <laughs> <laughs> that old guy is just kind of hanging around shout out to late 90s uh teenage tv for all those who know that reference from boy meets world, boy meets world. <laughs> what a classic what a classic um do you think Did you ever think about being a teacher before ACE? I mean, was teaching ever on your radar? Definitely when I was in high school, I was always attracted to teaching. And I think part of it was being in a Catholic school where I had great teachers who cared so much about the school itself, um, cared so much about the students and their own development. And I really... I really took a, um, a notice of that and how much the teachers took a genuine care and concern for the students. And I think that inspired me to always keep teaching in the back of my mind, um, especially teaching in Catholic schools, because I'd gone to Catholic schools, kindergarten, all the way through 12th grade, and then heading off to Notre Dame. And so even at Notre Dame, um, I always thought that maybe I would end up in teaching. And then lo and behold, I stumbled upon the ACE program. And as soon as I got to know some of the folks that were involved with ACE, I just knew that that was what I was meant to do. Mm-hmm. Um, the service component, but also um, just the ability to go out and use whatever skills that I felt that Notre Dame had helped instill in me and use those for the church and for young people um, was kind of the, the mission that I felt was developing within myself. That's awesome. So I'll jump in and say that, you know, seeing you as a freshman in my section and then you know you were a math major and a theology major is that right yeah and then also you have a pretty rich like acting background (laughs) as well (laughs) and i would you know i feel like it's like just the perfect combination of all your gifts because i mean when you're you're your teacher you're on you're on the stage you know you're performing in a sense and but you're also conveying all the knowledge that you have and so um i've observed you i want to say twice Maybe or no, that's you... right. You have come to see me teach, <laughs> so I can at least attest to because the random times that I would find myself in Florida, it was like, oh, I might as well just watch you in action. <laughs> you come to see me too, but it was just it was just crazy to like, you know, we've we've checked in with each other every few years and just to see, all right, this is Jeffrey is a new student as you know a junior, a senior at Notre Dame, and then suddenly here he is, Mr. Mooney, and then you know just to to watch that transformation and how exactly what you said, where you know you kind of found your gifts, your calling, and were able to just share that so generously, even to the point that you you chose to stay longer. How how, how is that decision um, to not just all right two years and then let me move on to the next thing? Did you know you were going to stay? I think I knew going into my second year of ACE that 
there was no way that the school was going to be able to just kind of float out of my consciousness at the end of that year. And the the community there was so embracive of me um, that I just felt that I wanted to stay and be with them. Um, I love the students. I love their families and my coworkers. And I just couldn't find within myself to say goodbye after just two years. Um, and so for me, the decision was easy to stay at the school. Um, and it was one that I don't regret um, at all. And I mean, as, as you introduced me, I, I had multiple years that I decided to stay at my school after the, that two-year commitment. Um, and I still think about my school constantly. I pray for them often um, because I think as much as Notre Dame and ACE formed me, I think my school community formed me um, yeah. in ways as well that um, that I just I continue to look back on and am grateful for and the things that I'm doing now and able to incorporate what I learned then in the classroom with um, faculty members and how that kind of plays into all the ministry I continue to be able to do. And it's been a, it's been a blessing to have that part um, be such a central um, component of my past that now carries over and continues to push me forward. Such a great point. I, we've t- I talked about that before on this podcast about um, the idea that Catholic schools not only shape their students, but they shape their teachers and their administrators mm-hmm. and everybody who comes in contact with them. They shape the parents, they shape the whole family. And, um, yeah, you, you, we named this show after um, the the prayer, the long view. I don't think that's the actual name of the prayer. What's the name of the prayer? Um, oh. A step along the way. Thank you. That's the name of the prayer. Um, and it's not, he actually didn't write it. We know that. <laughs> um, but just the thought of, you know, we think a lot about ourselves as planting seeds in our students, but I think sometimes we forget about the broader mission of the Catholic school of forming everyone it comes in contact with. That There are seeds that are planted in our teachers. There are seeds that are planted in the parents and in the families and um, just everybody that comes in contact with the school. So, I know for me, being part of the Congregation of Holy Cross now, um, one of the lines in our constitutions just hits me every time it's read um, that says that we stand to learn much from those whom we are called to teach. Mm. And I think that just resonates so much with my own experience that it, it never fails to just kind of perk me up when I hear that line because it reminds me of all that I learned from my school mm-hmm. um, in the midst of teaching and how I continue to look back on that experience and reflect on it and gain new insights that leads me into ministry now. So, so true. I Actually, I was thinking about that just today and I was working with my son on, on some phonics stuff and like thinking about different sounds and... He was telling me that one of their words at school doesn't follow the rules, you know, because the C makes the <laughs> S sound. And I was thinking, yeah, I learned that when I taught phonics for the first time. Like, I <laughs> I learned about spelling rules when I had a master's in education already, and I was still learning. Um, but the actual, the, the process of actually teaching, you learn it. So, Do you have a favorite story? Like, you know... That, that one of your top moments as a teacher, your one of your success stories, or I don't know. Or one of your it. failures, like a, a great fireside story. What's your best story from teaching? 
The one that I always come back to um, involves one of my students that I had my very first year. He and I <laughs> did not really see eye to eye at first. Because uh, he's taller he than me. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I knew you were going to well, go there. <laughs> it doesn't take much to be taller than me. Um, but yes, he was taller than me. <laughs> Sorry. But anyway, um, so he and I, for whatever reason, just did not see eye to eye. There was this one experience I remember it was test day. And so I had just handed out the test and he gets it, but he doesn't start it immediately. He just kind of sits in his seat and just kind of eyes me. I'm like, <laughs> oh my gosh, <laughs> kind of intimidating. And you could tell he was not happy about having to take the test that day. Um, and so, yeah, so we kind of had a rocky start. Um, but so this particular student was on the football team. And as the fall season went on, um, he approached me one day after school and he asked me if we could pray together. Mm. And it was just this moment that just caught me off guard because here was a student that I had just assumed we had just, we did not connect. Um, but something within him moved him to ask me to join him on whatever his spiritual journey was. Hmm. Um, and so we prayed that afternoon, just kind of impromptu. And then it kind of became a regular thing for a couple of weeks that before what? the game, before the game on Friday, he would come to my room and we would just kind of say a quick little prayer together. And wow. Um, there was one day, you know, he said his shoulder was really bothering him. So could we pray especially for his shoulder? <laughs> um but it was just, you know, I still remember the student to this day. And although I don't know for a fact exactly where he is, I know he went on and played a little bit of football in college. Um, but his, his, he still stays with me and I can see his face and I can hear his voice. And um, yeah, he's one that I will always come back to is kind of this just kind of a, a treasured moment between the two of us. Wow. That's so cool. It's a bit of kind of a repeating theme that like it's not the curriculum it's not like what is the thing that i taught or the specific lesson that resonates with the teacher or the student but it's definitely the relationships and for some reason you know what are those things that just just totally speak to you and so that's that's i've never heard a story like that i've never experienced that either so (laughs) (laughs) that's amazing soon enough joe Someone's going to come back and ask you to pray with them (laughs) over their math test. (laughs) Well, speaking of praying, perhaps we should move on to our gospel. All right. Um, So this is um, the gospel according to Matthew. At that time, Jesus exclaimed, I give praise to you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. For although you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned, You have revealed them to the childlike. Yes, Father, such has been your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wishes to reveal him. Come to me, all you who labor and are burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and humble of heart, and you will find rest for yourselves. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light.
In what ways do I feel wise and learned in the faith? And how can I be more childlike? Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are burdened. How do I respond to this invitation? How can I find rest in Jesus? Jesus says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Do I really trust Jesus, that his yoke is easy and his burden is light? I ask Jesus to help me trust in him. The Gospel according to Matthew. At that time, Jesus exclaimed, I give praise to you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, for although you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned, you have revealed them to the childlike. Yes, Father, such has been your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wishes to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are labor and are burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and humble of heart, and you will find rest for yourselves. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The Gospel of the Lord. Jeffrey, tell us about why you picked this gospel. So this semester at the seminary, I'm in a preaching class. And at the beginning of the semester, we were asked to pick a passage um, that resonated with us in our ministry that we're currently a part of. And the assignment was that we were going to use this passage for the whole semester and preach on it in different styles and forms several different times. So this is your homework. You're doing your homework right now. Well, <laughs> I was just, I was coming back to this passage recently and each time I've come back to it over the course of the semester, something different and stands out to me about the passage, which is, I guess, um, one, you know, an, an amazing thing that we have about scripture that speaks to us, whatever our situation happens to be at any given time. Um, but in coming back to it in kind of, preparation for our little podcast tonight, I was struck by the focus that Jesus gives um, in upholding the childlike at the beginning of this passage. And he says that there are things that are hidden from those of us who consider ourselves wise and learned um, that are not hidden to those who are like children. And I was thinking about my own experience in the classroom of how much I did feel that I learned from the students that I had in front of me, that here I was walking in, I had the preparation, I had the degree, I had spent long hours crafting my lesson plans. And, you know, I think I, I tried to convince myself that I had everything together, but there were so many moments that I, like we already kind of discussed, I felt that I was learning more from my students than maybe they were even learning from me. Um, and at the end of the, the year, at the end of a given term, it wasn't so much about if I taught them the best way to use the quadratic formula or if they're going to remember exactly how to graph this or graph that. Um, but we were learning from each other about relationships. We were learning from each other about the importance and centrality of our faith. Um, we were learning the importance of trying to discern God's will in our lives and it was these moments where I would look out at my students, where I would hear stories about them, or they, they would tell stories to me that I was feeling like I was learning things um, anew that 
you know, somewhere along the way that I would have picked up, but I'd kind of let fallen out. I kind of let fall out of my practice. Um, mm -hmm. I would look to the students and I would see how they wouldn't always sweat the small stuff like I would sometimes. Um, I would get so worked up about how things went this day or in that period. And sometimes my students just taught me to just take it easy, you know, um, <laughs> because I, I could get stressed out about the littlest things. And there are some students that they just taught me that, you know, it's not worth it to get upset about little things that go wrong because I can remember some students where I would kind of cringe as I would hand back a paper that I know they hadn't really done very well on. I mean, I would think, oh, gosh, they're going to they're gonna hate me for this. And, you know, they would kind of be disappointed in the moment. But then the next day they were right back at it again. And mm -hmm. it just kind of taught me that don't don't get so tripped up about the things that you mess up on or about how things might not go 100 percent perfectly one day or the next. And I think my students helped give me that perspective. Um, and they also taught me about fearlessness, about overcoming the things that might keep you back. Um, I think of a, an instance at my school where we were having a talent show and we hadn't had a talent show in a long time. And so students were kind of talking up what they were, might be doing for the talent show and they had to do some auditions. And so I was on the faculty review panel to kind of um, oversee some of these auditions. And the number of students that overcame some of their anxieties to put together um, an act just kind of blew my mind away. And I recognized the talent that my students had that unless they were kind of given this opportunity, they might have not really had um, a chance to show. And yet they just went out there and gave it their all. And they <laughs> just, some of them just kind of nailed it the first time. And it taught me to just kind of give myself over to things um, more readily. And it's still a lesson I have to remind myself of because I know for a fact that I'm often not that fearless in things. And I try to stay with what's comfortable and within um, what I feel is reasonable for my talents or what have you. And I don't always try the new thing. Um, but I look back to my students and I think of some of them, um, maybe it was doing this audition or going out for that team um, or trying a new club or you know, asking to be bumped up a level in math when um, they weren't for sure if they could handle it, but they felt this confidence that they at least wanted to ask if they could move up a level. And um, it was just that, that fearlessness that they had, that courage to go out of their comfort zones and try something um, when, you know, they might not have previously considered it, but something within them said, go for it this time. And, mm -hmm. um, I think that was what I learned from my students, um, just taking that childlike attitude of just kind of jumping right in and not sweating the small stuff that was really helpful for me as a teacher. I love that actually was what stood out to me too. And I was listening to the gospel was the, the childlike part. Um, I was <laughs> watching our two-year-old splash in a puddle on Saturday like it was his job like he had on his little yellow boots and he was just going for it and he had the biggest grin on his face and i mean it was like the happiest i'd seen him all week just jumping in a puddle and getting soaking wet and covered in mud and he was so happy and i just remember thinking i was enjoying being outside and standing in a puddle in my rain boots 
but I would never do that if a child had not dragged me by the hand. Like, I have things to do. You know, I'm busy. But for him, just enjoying that moment and experiencing what it's like to jump in a puddle, I mean, that just reminded me to to try to be childlike and to take those opportunities where you can just marvel at a puddle and how wonderful a puddle is after a rainstorm. Well, Elizabeth, you mentioned being busy, and I think that's another reason I was drawn to this passage, um, because at the end, Jesus is kind of looking out to those who are overworked. They've labored, and they feel this weight upon them. And I know for me, sometimes at the end of a long day teaching, maybe you're doing an extracurricular after school, and for me, I was going off to practice after school, and you know, I don't get home sometimes until late in the day, and it can be exhausting after all of that. And especially at Catholic schools where a lot of our work is done by teachers, our administration, faithful volunteers. Um, there are a lot of hours that are put into making a Catholic school um, exist to kind of its fullest potential. And it can, we can fall into that trap of feeling that we're just kind of burdened by our work or we're busy by so many things. But I think one of the things that is essential for us to remember about our, our work in Catholic schools and our ministry there is that we have an opportunity to rest because our foundation is in Christ. Our foundation mm -hmm. is in our prayer together. It's in the community that we foster at our schools. And when we place that at the forefront of what we're all about, um, it makes the work a little easier. It makes the work more bearable because we feel that we're not just taking it all on, upon ourselves, mm -hmm. that there's this wider community that's there to support us in the mission. And together we make this whole Catholic school community flourish. And I think that was what helped me so much through those years in teaching was realizing that ultimately the rest that I seek and that I desire as a teacher um, finds itself when I am with my community um, when I am focused on what is essential about us, and that is that Christ is the one who brings us together, and um, it's Jesus who gives us the model for how to teach and for how to be in relationship. Um, and so the two parts of the scripture passage, I think, work well together. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, that's really good. It's just, it's, it's good for, I'm, I am definitely burdened and laboring and I definitely don't look look enough to well Christ among us and allowing me to rest in Christ's presence throughout all of that laboring and burdening because um, I just focus on all right I, just, I gotta get through my checklist I gotta get this done and get through this and get to the next thing and um, you know I've, I've kind of had to remind myself that too is like how much do I let myself enjoy you know the enjoy the work as well you know and it depends on perspective and I guess um you know do I do I ask for that perspective do I do I try to see Christ in in the work and in those that I'm, I'm working with um so that I can better enjoy what I'm doing which is definitely what I need right now <laughs> in the middle of the semester I get a lot of Martha and Mary coming out here where you have a lot of like you know Martha saying you know, Lord, like my sister isn't doing the work. I'm so burdened. And he's like, Martha, Martha, you're anxious and worried about many things. But Mary has chosen the better part. And it's the same kind of thing here. It's like, 
you know what? Come, come sit with me. Come be for a minute. Let me here take my yoke. Put this yoke on. And there's a, a great paradox in there that I kind of want to get to in a minute. But like find rest for yourselves amid all of the work and all of the, the labor and the burden. Um, and that that rest is so important. And um, we've talked about this before. I'm, I'm a terrible I'm terrible. I'm a Martha, 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 like all the time, like to the max. Um, and I always just kind of cringe when he's like, but Mary chose the better part. And I'm like, come on, Lord. Did you see all the work that I did? Come on. Um, but this, this, I mean, this falls right into that same pattern. But that beautiful paradox of Jesus saying, take my yoke, like a yoke being that the thing that binds a, an animal, like an ox, like a a beast of burden is what we call an ox, mm-hmm. right? Like a beast of burden. We put that wooden harness over the two oxes and make them work together. Um, or a yoke could help you like carry, it's a wooden thing that goes over your shoulders. that would help you carry heavy loads. Like that's what a yoke is. And so Jesus is saying, take up my yoke. And that's kind of like that paradox there. Of like, well, we're going to put on something that's burdening and something that's going to maybe um, not allow us to go the way that we want to go, um, like within the idea of like an ox being pulled in a certain way or steered in a certain way. There's that kind of idea of, you know, um, obedience, which maybe you can talk to and talk about Jeffrey, but mm-hmm. like that maybe we give up a little bit of freedom when we put on the yoke of Christ. But in, in reality, the, the yoke is easy and the burden is light compared to life without that guidance, life without that, um, obedience um i don't know does that does that yeah it does and another thing that strikes me about the passage is that jesus doesn't say i'm gonna take away the yoke i'm gonna take away all the yokes that there are and there won't be any anymore um and but he says that i'm gonna give you a yoke that is easy which means that there still is work to be done but Mm -hmm. it's work that we're going to do together and i'm gonna be with you in the work Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. and so that it isn't work that becomes um, deadening to you, but work that is life-giving. Mm-hmm. It's kind of that idea of like, it's not freedom from restrictions. It's freedom for oh, yeah. joy mm-hmm. and happiness. Um, yeah. Oh, there's a lot to unpack there. I love that um, the statue on Notre Dame's campus um, out in front of the main building, that's Jesus with his arms open mm-hmm. and the Latin says venite ad me omnes which is come to me all of you mm-hmm. um which would be right here in scripture come to me all of you now sometimes at Notre Dame we say that it's the jump Mary jump statue because <laughs> he's looking right up at Mary on the dome like I'll catch you if you jump um but I many a time I've sat there at the foot of that statue and and offered him my burdens and I think that statue of Jesus with his arms open is such a great image for us as educators, because I think that's what we're called to do as we enter our Catholic schools is just to be open to, especially to God's call, the Spirit's work in our lives, but also just to be open to the students that God places in our midst, um, mm-hmm. taking them in with their varied stories, their varied backgrounds, and just welcoming, welcoming them in, all of them. Mm-hmm. Um, whoever they are, wherever they come from, and making them feel at home um, and making sure that they have a place in our classroom communities. Yeah, because it's come to me, all of you, come to mm-hmm. everybody. And there's, there's that, I, that 
line about i don't know who said it but like basically the catholic churches here comes everybody yeah like, mm -hmm. you've got a whole range of people who are coming in the doors and they're going to come with a variety of needs and a variety of gifts to share um but they're all welcome mm -hmm. and hopefully we're giving them a taste of that rest in our classrooms mm -hmm. by making sure that we're welcoming in jesus um each and every moment that we are ourselves teaching mm-hmm some of our students might balk at that and say, no, you're not giving me rest. You're giving me homework. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, that, sorry, I'm, a, I'm more on the processing end because this is all stuff that I need to hear right now. Because, um, yeah, I'm in that phase of, you know, having to give grades and especially at this time of the year with like, all right, this, I mean, you're halfway through the semester and this is where you're at. And, and if I'm supposed to be modeling Jesus and, you know, come to me all of you and definitely right now I'm 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 it's not an unconditional love it's like <laughs> I will work with you if you do your part I will you know I can help you if you like you know there's I'm definitely putting conditions on my students with you know what are you doing what are you not doing and yes I'm supposed to hold them accountable but then at the same time regardless of where they're at in their math journey am I still welcoming them or I, am I rejecting them? You mm -hmm. know, and that's definitely a hard thing I have to reflect on is like, who am I, if not directly, indirectly rejecting them by saying, well, I don't know about that one, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, uh, versus like, all right, you know, let's, let's, we got to start somewhere. So let's take that first step, you know, come follow me and, and trust me. And some students are responding to that, which is great. And as much as I want to rush them to like, all right, we need to get to this point. It's like, the fact that they're at least get, taking that first step and meeting with me. Um, I mean, that's definitely the success story of the past few days. It's like the kids that I've been waiting to work with one-on-one uh, -on -one are finally taking that effort and that and following up with that invitation. So as much as I'm looking at it like, wow, there, there's so much that we need to get caught up on. It's like, hey, they, they came mm -hmm. and that's great, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? And so like, let's, 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 let's do those steps together. Let's take those steps together, regardless of how much of a distance we have to cover right now, um, to get them caught up, uh, you know, at least, at least the relationship is there. And so I, I shouldn't take that for granted. I think it's, it's easy just to say, well, you know, but their grade is still this low. It's like, well, no, they still came. Um, so that's definitely something I need to hear right now. The journey of a thousand miles begins with one step. <laughs> Well, Jeffrey, I would love to hear um, your vocation story. So would you share that with our listeners? I would love to. Um, so as you alluded to at the beginning of the podcast, I am with the Congregation of Holy Cross. Um, this is my third year in temporary vows with the congregation, and I am studying uh, to be a priest, God willing. Um, and I have... A journey that began long ago, back when I was probably even in high school, of thinking about um, what it might mean for me to be a priest or what it might mean to work in the church. And I think a lot of that comes from the fact of having good mentors in faith, um, both priests, but also people at my Catholic high school that um, were very encouraging of me and my faith, encouraging me to get involved and to explore and to just be open to where it would be that God might be calling me. And so when I was in high school, I did a lot of the typical like campus ministry type things. I was involved in retreat work. Um, I helped out my parish and youth ministry and loved all the opportunities that I was able to do through my parish and through my high school. 
And I think because of those rich experiences, I had a great desire to want um, a Catholic education for college. And so many of the schools that I looked to were Catholic institutions. Um, but Notre Dame quickly became the number one choice um, and the one that I pursued with the greatest effort. Um, and lo and behold, I got accepted and I came as a freshman, uh, met Joe there my very first weekend. <laughs> um, and I just fell in love with the, the, the campus culture at Notre Dame the way that students embrace their faith so openly, the way that people were willing to talk about their faith, talking about their struggles, their journeys. Um, and kind of like in high school, I fell into some of the traditional campus ministry things of going on retreats. I fell into the folk choir, which was a big part of my my formation, I call it, my first kind of formation at Notre Dame. Um, and I think it was at Notre Dame that I first learned how to pray for the first time. I mean, I knew what prayer was, and I prayed when I went to Mass, obviously. I prayed in high school, but I think Notre Dame afforded me that space to be able to give myself over to time for prayer. Um, there's a chapel within walking distance everywhere you are. There's Mass offered. You name the time, there's Mass available. Um, and then there are just so many people who want to engage you on those deeper questions um, that speak to who you are as a person, um, what you believe in, what your struggles are, what your strengths are, and people really want to share their stories. Um, and so it was at Notre Dame that I started more intentionally thinking about this. And I think it helped being in an environment where I was surrounded by a religious congregation. So meeting the priests of Holy Cross in the residence halls meeting them in campus ministry, um, meeting them, um, just running into them on campus sometimes, and seeing that visible presence um, of both young religious and old religious and everywhere in between was something that I would not ever experienced. I mean, I had good pastors growing up, um, but it wasn't just kind of this everyday visible aspect. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. And the more and more I interacted with the priests on campus, the more and more I felt that I could maybe see myself in that position or doing that kind of ministry. Um, they, be, they were so relatable and so down to earth. And I felt that maybe there was a way that I could somehow fall into step with them. Um, but then Ace kind of fell in my path. <laughs> and I think that was God's providence that Ace fell where it did. Um, I met some people who were working for Ace and I quickly got involved um, going into my senior year and just fell in love with the mission that ACE provides of going into Catholic schools that are under-resourced and being there, being part of everything that the Catholic school has to offer and all the ministry that it does, um, both during the school hours and outside the school hours on weekends, not just with the students, but with their parents and uh, alumni, benefactors. There's just such a great sense of community when you're at a Catholic school, at least in my experience, um, and I would assume for many others as well. And I think it was at my school that I learned about myself, about how to go out of myself and not be so focused on me all the time, 
but really to pay attention to the others that are around me and the others that are forming me in the faith. Um, where going to school each day was just an ultimate joy. I never really felt that I dreaded going to my workplace each day. I look forward to seeing my faculty members, to seeing the students, to be involved in the activities there. Um, and the more and more I was involved in those relationships, the more and more I began to value um, that, that core connection that we have with each other when we are in community. And so the more and more I was going through my years in the Catholic school there in Pensacola, the more and more my heart was actually being pulled in a different direction. <laughs> that the students and my coworkers and my mentors there, they were giving me so many rich experiences about what it means to be relational, about what it means to be involved in ministry, that I really felt that that was where my heart was, was being a person in the church. And I think education played a big part of it. And education is something that I still value. I look forward to being back in the classroom someday in some capacity. Um, I think teaching is a core component um, of the Holy Cross congregation as well. Um, but it was in those, those relationships that I built that I realized that my gifts um, were for service and my heart was for service. Um, and so I went on pilgrimage through ACE um, to Rome, and I was surrounded by a lot of other ACE graduates who were similar age to me, all thinking about the same questions of where is God leading me? Am I meant to stay as a teacher? Um, but I love teaching, but my heart is kind of in another place too. And it was on that pilgrimage um, with those people and with some Holy Cross priests as well that I really felt that God was moving me to pursue the religious life. Um, and so when I came back to my school, the rest of that semester, I kind of had it in my mind that, you know, next year, I, I think this, I think it might be the last. As much as I hated to admit that part, it was something that excited me at the same time. Whereas when I thought about leaving, it wasn't leaving prior to that experience. It wasn't something that I was like thrilled about. Like, why would I want to leave this place that has become home to me? Um, but going into that fifth and final year, I realized that this might be the end of my journey. And I was going up to Notre Dame for interviews. And slowly, I was kind of letting my coworkers know what was going on and kind of sharing a little bit about my spiritual journey. And I really found in them a source of support and love and encouragement um, every step of the way, um, from my principal to the other administrators, to the faculty and staff. And then I can remember finally revealing it for the first time to my seniors um, in that, uh, that final semester. And just kind of the outpouring of love that I felt from my students when I told mm -hmm. them that um, it was pretty certain that I was not gonna be returning and that we were going to be leaving the school together at the end of that year. Mm -hmm. um, and it was kind of this, this, that, that final year, I felt that I was embraced all the more, even though we were going to have to say goodbye. Um, and then when I finally left the school and when I came to Holy Cross, um, I felt a great sense of welcome coming back to Notre Dame. It was certainly hard 
being part of a brand new community, of being part um, of a seminary community where we're all coming from different places, different experiences. Some of us have been teachers in some capacity. Some of us have just graduated from college. Um, some of us have been doing other service experiences, um, but we were charged to kind of form a new community and coming together in a new way. And that was hard when I was coming from such a, a loving community that in some ways I didn't want to leave, although I was feeling called to leave. Um, so I definitely struggled at the start, but I had such great examples on the Notre Dame campus and elsewhere of priests and religious who had done this before me. And they shared their experiences of the high points, the low points, what it means to grow in prayer, what it means to kind of fail at certain things and then get up, kind of dust it off and try again the next day, of what it means to kind of be in a period of spiritual dryness or desolation and um, kind of letting all these things sit with me during that year and um, finally discern that I wanted to kind of take the next step at the end of that first year at the seminary and um, say yes to Holy Cross in a more formal way by going off to Novitiate um, out in Colorado. And that was a year of prayer, a year of contemplation, of growing in self-awareness, um, but also growing in close community with um, six of my brothers um, that year that we were charged to form. It almost felt like an ace house in some ways because <laughs> there were just that small core group of us um, living together for that year. Um, and then that was the year that kind of solidified my commitment and solidified what I thought God was continuing to call me toward. Um, just having that year apart from work, from studies, from the labors and burdens that we talked about in our scripture passage today, and just having a chance to be and to rest and to open myself to listen to God in new and in unexpected ways. Um, and when I profess my vows for the first time at the end of that year, I experienced nothing but just joy um, and hope for what lied, or for what was what would be coming um, in the years ahead. And at the end of each year, when I write my petition to renew my vows, I'm overcome with that same sense of joy and I see it reflected more and more um, in my brothers and community, and I continue to get a great example from those who have already professed their vows forever with Holy Cross. And each year has been a process of growing a community, but I think each year um, God continues to open my mind and my heart in new ways. Um, and there's just great experiences um, that I've had along the way. It's not always been easy. Um, and not every day is filled with sunshine and, you know, <laughs> greatly lit paths where everything so, seems so clear. Um, but overall, the journey um, has been filled with peace. And I cannot wait to see what the Spirit has in store um, as I continue to go out, go throughout my years in temporary vows and, God willing, profess my final vows with Holy Cross in the years to come. So. Wow. Yeah, and we've been friends for a long time, and I've never heard you actually tell from start to finish how you got where you are. That was really beautiful. So thank you for sharing that. Jeffrey. Well, thank you for giving me the chance to share a little bit about my story. I, whenever I share it, I emphasize different things here and there, so I never know how it's going to come out sometimes. <laughs> well, it came out great.
<laughs> yeah, let me tie it together with um, the long view. I mean, just the privilege I've had to to have known you. You know, I think I was doing trying to do the math. Thirteen years, two thousand five. We have known each other thirteen years. So thirteen years, and you know where you started and where you are, and you're you're very much who you are, but just more of yourself, right? We're all mm-hmm. just becoming more and more better versions of ourselves, and so it's just it's it's very just humbling to just see and hear how you've transformed and how you've um, been able to thrive, I guess, in your response to to God's call, which is just very beautiful. And I mean, that's I mean that's what we it's what a blessing to to. to see the long view and to see that you know you you ask the question you ask god uh you know i want where where am i headed where 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 do you need me where do you want me and then suddenly you know all the people that god puts in our lives and and you're responding to it and and then how that's transformed you so it's it's just it's just beautiful just to know that um you know this is happening (laughs) vocations are happening (laughs) vocations are alive and God is working very actively in our lives, which is awesome. Yeah, I was trying to think in the 25 years of Ace, which is crazy that Ace is 25 years old, but how many vocations have we had come out of Ace? Quite a few. We've had a lot. And actually, this is the first year where at every stage in formation, we have someone that has an Ace connection. Really? From the very first year all the way up into our diaconate year, we have an Ace person in every year. Um, wow, someone who did ace and now is and now is in formation in with formation. Holy Cross. Not to mention the people who are in formation in or, or ordained or in religious life elsewhere outside have, of Holy Cross. We have diocesan priests. We have people that are in other religious congregations, um, and it's just amazing to see how ace, um, as you were saying earlier, plants the seed and kind of gives people this opportunity to explore where God is calling them, and we through ace or through our formation through our mentors were opened up in a new way to respond and maybe it was a way that we never thought we might respond but yet Mm -hmm. that's where the spirit is led yeah it's amazing well if you sign up for ace you won't necessarily become a priest but you might so (laughs) there's the caveat applications are currently open you can find more information at ace dot indie.edu for the teaching fellows program as well as the remic leadership program and the enl english as a new language hernandez fellows so i think the application deadline is december 1st in we, case any of our listeners are interested in pursuing life in ace or we, maybe know a nice young person who might one day want to be a teacher are we getting ad money for this? We're not <laughs> getting ad money. I think I should propose that. Hey, Ace. <laughs> they did send me a nice t-shirt this week, though. So thanks, Ace. <laughs> well, Jeffrey, thank you so much for sharing um, this time with us. It's just been such a pleasure to catch up and um, any, spend any a final, long time. Any yeah, final any words final words? For our listeners, our, our 20 listeners that we have? I am just extremely grateful to both you, Elizabeth and Joe, for inviting me on the show um, and allowing me to talk about what I love, which is Catholic education and also um, what it means to be a disciple of Christ. And you two have been excellent models for me, and I continue to be grateful for our friendship. So thank you for having me. Oh, shucks. Oh, shucks. That wraps up our episode for today. Thanks so much for joining us here on the Longview Podcast. 
If you enjoyed our conversation, be sure to subscribe on iTunes to be up to date on our latest episodes. Also, share our podcast with a friend, another teacher, an ace friend, your mom, anyone that you think would enjoy our conversation. Your reviews and comments on iTunes help us to show up in the search bar, so we always appreciate that. If you'd like to connect with us on social media, you can find us on Facebook at Dallas Ace Advocates, and we're also on Twitter at Dallas Advocates. We'll see you here next time on the Longview Podcast.